Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. And this is episode 126. What's up? All right, so uh, two weeks ago, um, I was talking about the Max 6682, which is that thermistor temperature sensor chip. The, that the weird thing makes. that you, you didn't know the resistance or whatnot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I finished the layout uh, and ordered the boards. So they should be in in like a week and a half now or a week. So that'd be pretty cool. Hopefully next week I have them, but I'm going to bet you in two weeks I'll have something more to share about that. Yeah. Um, so those, yeah, these are for those weird thermistors that I found. Um, and I found a chart uh, for the resistance now. I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast, but yeah, I basically when the thermistors showed up, they actually had a part number on the bag. And so I was able to Google that and find a chart. And so I was able to calculate the right resistor to use for the uh, the uh, voltage sensing on that on that max 6682 chip. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll put a link in the podcast description where you can go check out the layout. And it's actually really cool. I, I did it all on one side. And so it's, you know, my favorite Plunge the plane, yeah, out style, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, An uninterrupted ground plane. Yes. The only thing um, that can be in the ground plane are vias. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's fun. So it should be a pretty good low noise circuit. Um, I kind of made it so that like when I'm ready to implement this into the Jeep, I can just like copy the layout directly. So that should be nice. Um, so yeah, there's that, and then I got a Jeep Plus One this past weekend. Oh no! Yeah, so I got, I, 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 every Jeep project times two now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, I, I picked up a, a, a 1990 Grand Wagoneer, and so we're gonna call it. So there's a distinction now. When I'm talking about uh, the Jeep is my red Jeep because it's a Wrangler. The, it, it's it's Jeep Classic. Jeep, <laughs> Jeep Classic is actually the thing is it's newer than the Wagoneer, but the Wagoneer is gonna be called the Wagon. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so. so if so there's the a Jeep project, is, we know it's Jeep Classic, and then Wagon is yeah. new. Yeah, old. Wagon is new. And I'm thinking about getting, because I, I can get, like, custom emblems made for, like, the side. Yeah. I'm going to think I'm going to make it get it in the same font, because it's, like, cursive font, but make it Grande Ragoneer. <laughs> because <laughs> why not? Because I can. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, it's because you can. Yeah. So the... Yeah, so it's a 1990, so it's, it's what, almost 30 years old now. Oof. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it actually is in pretty good shape for its age. Um, it's been, like, in a garage for, like, the past 10 years. Um, and so, it, and then, and then you picked it up and drove 400 miles on it. Yeah, basically I picked up 300 miles. Yeah, I okay. picked it up and drove it from Dallas to Houston in, like, one shot. I just stopped halfway for gas. Um, and it everything works on like the electric windows works, electric doors work, the AC kind of functions, um, which is actually the first thing to fix because I we you know live in Houston and it was 102 degrees on I 10 today. Yeah, so you, you don't a, you don't even drive if that doesn't work. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So the <laughs> call in sick. <laughs> They would understand. Yeah, they would. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, we're not even going to deduct PTO. We understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, so the AC is the first thing to fix, and the thing about the AC is it all works mostly. So it doesn't blow cold air that well. So that's the first thing to fix, and I think that's just I, it. Just needs. Um, I put my pressure gauges on it and it just read low. So I'm like, okay, it just needs gas because the compressor works, the vents work, all that stuff works. Um, but the previous owner bubbled the hell out of the compressor <laughs> turn on switch because it's supposed to be controlled by the the climate control module, if you want to call it that. Um, it's not really, it's like a couple relays and some switches. <laughs> I, I, but apparently, I, I, I Hang on, I think I think for those who don't live in the South, I think you should you should explain what Bubba Ing means. Um, it, it's like the Northern version would be like farmer good. Yeah, like it's, it's like it's like fixing something to make it work without realizing the consequences of your actions. 
Yeah, it's sort of like one step above using duct tape and staples. Like you Barely. actually did. There's you duct did tape something. on the wiring on this thing. Oh, duct tape? <laughs> not even electrical tape. No, there's duct okay, tape on the okay. wiring. Okay, I'm harness. giving them way too much credit then. <laughs> yeah, you are. Um, I think another term would be called like rednecking it. Um, yeah, possibly. But when usually when I use that, it's kind of like it's actually been put together well. It's just it's it's really hard to explain. It, it it's like putting something together really well, but there's no engineering behind it. That's like rednecking. Yeah, redneck engineering. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it's usually it's not going to fall apart. It's not going to catch on fire. It's just like, oh yeah, it's just not pretty or whatever you know how you want to describe it go to urban dictionary and start looking up these terms people well i mean uh, uh, yeah and a lot of stuff that we do uh, in professional engineering is just redneck engineering but there's a nice drawing of it or something like that you know we we wrote numbers down yeah yeah <laughs> we have we have records <laughs> yeah, records um so yeah it, it, the wiring is pretty bubbled basically you turn on the ac switch and then there's a button on the dash that you press that is hardwired to the compressor relay. So it just hammers it on. Yeah, hammers it on with no consequences at all. Um, <laughs> nice. So the first thing to do is going to be putting more gas into the system and then making sure it blows cold air. And when that's working, is basically revert the electronics back to normal. Um, just unbubba it. Yeah, unbubba it. And so what... To do that, I found the factory service manual for the for the Wagoneer, and then I found in that FSM I found the schematic. So I post screenshots of the schematic, but basically there's a couple things that need to happen for the. This is before I even start tearing apart the vehicle. Like I'm like looking at the schematic. Um, but 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 the automotive to... schematic, not like the electrical schematic. It Correct. is electrical, yeah, but it's the automotive electrical schematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's a couple things that need to like work correctly um, for the compressor to turn on. First, the AC control module has to be working. Um, I'm assuming that's working because like if you switch between like defrost and cold and hot and stuff, like the vents move and. Stuff the fan changes speeds. It does so, what like, you expect it to do. Yeah, it's doing what it's expecting to do. So that's probably working correctly. Um, the other thing is for the compressor to turn on is the AC temperature sensor needs to be functioning, which is a basically it's in the vents and it says how cold or how hot the air is coming out of it. Okay, like coming out of the vents. Um, so that needs to be functioning. So that could be not working. Um, and the other part is the thermistor. And the thermistor is in the evaporator coil. And so that's making sure that the evaporator coil doesn't freeze up. So if it freezes up, it turns off the compressor and lets it, you know, thaw out. Um, and then the last part that needs to be working is the uh, compressor low pressure switch. And that's on the low side of the compressor. And it makes sure that there's enough gas for the compressor not to ruin itself if it turns on. Um that part I know for sure is bypassed. <laughs> <laughs> hard bypassed. It's a hard bypass. It's connected. It basically went past the bypass and put that switch in. So I think, well, I looking at what the person did, I think it's just the compressor low bypass switch. Okay. That 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 pressure switch is just bad, and for some reason, instead of paying eight dollars for that part, he. Put in like a ten dollar switch and mess up the wiring forever. Well, you never know. Maybe, maybe what he was doing was just like um, jumping, uh, shorting switches and things like that. And he found that if you shorted that one, it just worked. So yeah. he might have just run with that. You never know. Yeah, maybe. Um, but I'm like, okay, what if it's not that? So how do I test these other things? And because the the pressure switch, you can just buy it. Um, yeah, it's like it was it was used on like bazillions of vehicles in like the 80s and 90s so it's like i can get that part but the thermistor you can't buy anymore and the ac temperature sensor you can't buy anymore so i'm like okay what what is it what thermistor is it right let's say if mine's broken how do i figure out what to replace it with Ooh, that's so a I good started one googling and looking at all the 
all the forms for these things and no one knows what this thing is everyone everyone basically says if yours is broken find another one and rip it out of the junkyard that's everyone's solution <laughs> really yeah and so i'm like okay that can't there has to be a way to test it yeah just right? characterize it right yeah, so, so there has to be a way to test it. So I open up the F, the factory service manual and flip to the air conditioning for the SJ, which is what this chassis model is. Mm-hmm. And they have a procedure to test it and a temperature profile for it. Wow. They basically copied and pasted the temperature profile from the data, the sheet? data sheet for the thermostat and put it in there. And guess what? At 25 Celsius, it's 5,000 ohms. So it's a 500K NTC. Bone stock. Oh, you mean a 5K, right? 5K, yeah. What yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 500K. Oh, yeah, uh, it's, oh, yeah, 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 5, yeah, 5K. It's 5K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a 5K NTC thermistor. Um, and that's just something you can get, you know, off yeah. the shelf. I, I, I basically pulled an Omega part, and I'm like, so I have to link it. There's a really good Omega data sheet that has, like, the standard NTC values for, like, uh, like six or eight of the industry standard ones. Mm-hmm. And so I have that, like... When I come across a thermistor, I will measure it and see which one it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For replacement. So yeah, it's a it's a five k. So I'm like, okay, that part solved. The only other part is the AC temperature sensor, and there's a way to test it. So I know how to test it, but it looks like it's just a potentiometer that you like go back and forth. And so I just have to find basically a um, they call them um, AC compressor turnoff switches or something like that i can't remember the exact name okay and but no one sells one that fits this one but i can find one of those that has basically the same characteristics it's like zero to 100k when it's um like max cold it's some it's like 2k or 3k if it's on like medium and then it's infinite when it's heated all the way up Hmm. okay um which could be I just like short it out when it's <laughs> when it's um uh when the, I want AC. Um, so we we'll have to figure out if that part's working or not. I'm gonna guess. <laughs> Wait, it is. you mean you can bubble it with a switch? <laughs> well, no, I'll do it with a smart switch. I can put smarts in it. Oh, okay. Like the worst case scenario is I put a microcontroller with a board-mounted sensor, and it just feeds the right voltage to the. AC control module. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so that way it's smart. It's a smart bubba. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. It's, it sounds yeah. like it sounds like you have uh, you've got plenty to work on with the the new wagoneer. Yeah, the grande wagon. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, the first goal is to get the AC working. There's a lot of other little tiny things I want to get working before I actually start like. Like, what I want to do is get it in a really good state where, like, it's not falling apart anymore and you can daily drive it without it, like, exploding or Without worrying about it. Yeah, worrying about it. And not melting in the driver's seat is important. And when that's good, I'm going to probably drive it for a couple months on, like, you know, either alternate days or only on Fridays. just depends. Basically, well, probably days it's not raining. Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) Because the seals are kind of worn out and... um, I don't want it to rust anymore, but I, and I, I kind of want to drive it for a couple couple months and then figure out what exactly I want to do with it. Because um, I don't want to do a full on like restoration because one it costs too much money and two, the moment you finished restoration, you don't want to do anything with it because right, it perfect. just sits in your garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. it's perfect. And so I'm like, okay, I want to, you know, I I want new paint, but I don't. It doesn't need to be perfect. You know, and I don't want it to be exactly how it came off the factory floor, or I don't care about that at all. Um, I just want it to be a really good daily driver and reliable and stuff like that. So sure. Well, Stay and cool. and uh, uh, on the way from Dallas to Houston, you had kind of a mishap with the radiator, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Uh, th- th- um, this wasn't on our show notes, so I'm surprising Parker with this one. <laughs> no, 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 no. The, um, the, uh, so we, well, actually, let's, let's start from the beginning. Because there's three <laughs> things that happened. Oh, three things, okay. Three things that happened. I think I only told you about one of them. You told me about, so yeah, that one for sure. Um, so I signed the paperwork at the dealer, um, and it's as is, no warranty, no nothing like that, right? Yeah. 
I back it out of the parking space, go around the corner, and there's a speed bump in the parking lot. Go over the speed bump, speed bump, engine dies. <laughs> seriously driving it. After the test drive, seriously driving it for 30 minutes, 30 seconds since I've owned it, and it dies. <laughs> <laughs> And, so, and, and the owner comes out and he's like, excuse me, sir, you have to get your vehicle off the premises. <laughs> and so I sit there and it, it's cranking, 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 cranking. And then it finally fires up. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, oh, okay. So something, something, I'm like, something's loose under the hood. Um, probably electrical. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. We'll worry about it later. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're driving out of Dallas because it's in Northwest Dallas. So we have to go around the loop. I can't remember what they call it up there. Um, and then get on 45 and we're going on the changeover from like 20 to 45, I think is what it's called. And the engine starts chugging hard, like bam, 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 like that. And then I get, and it gets over the crest and then it starts running fine again. And then go up the next hill, bam, 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 coasting it. So I'm like, okay, get over. I pull into the, uh. There's a gas station, so I pull in the gas station. And I'm like, that's weird. It really felt like it was running out of gas, kind of. Okay. But I've never I've never driven a carbureted vehicle that was running out of gas. Fuel injection feels a lot different when it runs out of gas. But it felt like that. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to put gas in this thing. Put gas in it. And that was the problem, basically. The the gas tank, when the gas runs all the way to the back of the tank, it it can't pick up anymore. Right, it's just breathing. It's just sucking air. Sucking air. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So filling up the gas tank um, fixed that problem. So I started driving that back, uh, going back down. And then we got about halfway. um, Actually, no, not halfway. It was the first Whataburger out of Dallas. (laughs) Down 45. That's Um, how we measure distance in Texas. (laughs) The distance between Whataburgers. Whataburgers are down the road. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I pull over to Whataburger, get a burger. And, you know, I haven't eaten since 8 o'clock, and it's like, you know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon now. Um, so I'm, like, scarfing that thing down. And this is the thing. It doesn't have cup holders. So I had to, like, I bought the basically an extra large iced tea and just downed it. So I'm like, <laughs> I need the hydration. Because <laughs> the air conditioning is not working, so I had the windows down. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I come outside, and the radiator had puked its guts all over the parking lot like forward it wasn't like down it was forward all over the parking lot yeah (laughs) and open up the hood and it has bubbles around the filler neck i'm like fuck (laughs) so like that could be like ending right there yeah yeah yeah, for sure i'm like okay i wonder if there's any pressure in it so i like i take a like a rag and like wiggle it just a little bit and it goes all over the place I screw it back tight, and I'm like, okay, it's got pressure. It just didn't like the extra pressure of it just heat soaking. So as long as it's moving, it should be fine. And, yeah, made it all the way back. I actually was in stop-go traffic on, like, Beltway 8. Yeah. yeah, Coming back home. And And, and it made it it all the way. Okay. All the way. Um, That that radiator fluid's nasty. But you've already flushed it. That, yeah, that, that was sort it. of a part of your weekend project. Yeah, I, yeah, I flushed yeah. the basically a lot of the fluids over the weekend. Um, but on that radiator, I'm going to actually try brazing slash soldering it. Yeah, because you know, it's co- it's all copper, so it's like it it should work. I know I've actually never I've sweated um, pipes before, so I have all the stuff to do that. So I'm going to try that same tactic with the filler neck, and it should be clean it really good. Put acid flux on it, heat it up with a propane torch, and then feed it the the lead core, uh, lead um, acid core stuff. Right. So, yeah. And the good thing is that solder that I have is the vintage of the vehicle too. <laughs> it's from the same year. <laughs> Actually, I think it's older. I think that stuff's in the seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. So, yeah. yeah. So, so what I've been up to. Sweating's uh, sweating's pretty fun, and and like what you explained there, where it's like keep your joint clean, use acid flux, and use the right thing. stuff. If, if the funny thing is, like, there's three things there, you know, acid core, yep. paste flux, and and keep your joint clean. If you if you compromise any one of those three, the joint is just screwed. 
Like, yep. that's one of those processes it, that's not, like, super skill-based. It is very much you have to have the right thing. Yeah. And yeah. it's you, it has to be super clean. Yeah. And you have to have – it doesn't have to be the right flux, but you have to have an aggressive flux. Yeah, if you try to do it without flux, it's just game over. Oh, yeah, it won't work at all. Yeah. But, yeah, you need, like, an aggressive – like, a rosin core will work, but what's better is the acid core stuff. Um, and then just lead – Technically, you can do it with silver, and it's stronger, but, like, this thing was put together with lead lead solder, so I'm like, I'm just going to use lead. The silver solder also melts at a lower temperature, and it solidifies at a lower temperature, so hmm. it can make it a little bit easier. Um, and for the silver solder, if you're, if you're brazing, for what I know, if you're doing something that's more cosmetic, uh, silver solder actually does better, so you don't discolor the metal as much. So you don't have ah. to buff it as much later on. But if you're just doing copper to copper, who cares? Just use the use the heavy lead stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to spray paint it black afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> matter too much. So um, cool. That's the thing is on our brewery rigs, we're going to be silver soldering them. So silver, yeah, with silver solder. Silver solder because it's a little bit more. It's a little stronger because these joints get continuous stress. They also get a lot of temperature stress because they're going from room temperature to boiling and back. Yep. Uh, like well, that's what practically every time. But they, uh, at the same time, um, you kind of want your pots to look nice. So uh, ah. the the silver solder well, doesn't require as much heat. I think it's also because you don't want lead in your pot. That helps too. I think that's like number one. <laughs> Although, you know, although if you look at a lot of these, hey, Bubba rigs that are out there, they're just like copper with like dripping lead, you know, solder uh, all over it. <laughs> and and it's funny because copper in uh, in beer is actually it's actually a nutrient for yeast, and so they actually it's it's okay to brew with copper. That's why a lot of like um, cooling coils in beer are people just drop it right in boiling water because you get yeah. a little bit of copper in there, and that works out yeah. well. But uh, luckily, boiling water's not. Not enough to rip lead off of solder, so I'm not going to say it's safe, but a lot of people do it. And lead pipes exist, so yeah, right, right. And people didn't get lead poisoning from it, so right. Cool, Hi, Steven. What have you been up to? So when are you going to buy a Jeep? Um, I don't think that's really <laughs> ever going to happen. I'm sorry, Parker. <laughs> Just because I see how much work you have to put into them. <laughs> I ain't going to touch that. No, my truck has 176,000 miles on it. And, uh, and so whenever it dies, I'm just going to buy the exact same truck. So another Tacoma. That's a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. I can't go wrong with that. So, um, for the past couple of weeks, I had been talking about my, uh, micro tracer, the U tracer project that I've kind of been dealing with. And, uh, I've been working the mu tracer, mu tracer. I think that's technically the, the, the correct one because it's the Greek letter mu is in front of it. So it was sort of just like something fun to do. And because I was doing it, I decided to talk about it on the map, but now that I've gotten a little bit more into it, what I, what I thought would be fun is to actually, instead of just talk about it, I'll show you guys my progress and um whenever i have the layout like fully done i'll show the whole layout and then whenever i build it mm -hmm. i'll show that kind of thing so um i actually did one of the most difficult things to do this last week and it has nothing to do really electrically is i i, I finally picked what enclosure i actually want this to be in and and for those out there who have designed you know anything um you, you know that sometimes the enclosure is the most difficult part because it's just like, what do you use and how do you do it? And like, yeah, the, um, the number one most difficult thing about an electrical project is picking an enclosure. And number two, finding knobs. Yes, yes, that is 100% <laughs> true. Uh, so I, I got a little bit, I got a little bit wanky on this project. Um, and, and so this is, this is very much a one-off thing. There's, there's no chance in the future that I will build more than one of these. And so because of that, like money is not necessarily like an issue. It's not that I'm wanting to spend a bunch of money. It's just that's not a critical uh, point. So uh, the, the case is gold encrusted. Almost, practically. Uh, gold plated. So the case that I went with is it. Uh, the part number is 1441-16BK3CWW, which is a Hammond uh, box, which if you've ever dealt with, you know, project enclosures like Hammond is like, 
everyone knows Hammond. Um, but if you look that part up, it's a black that's like a, steel that's like box. A, that's like a um, everyone knows Hammond. That's like a sitcom from the nineties. Yeah, yeah, but but only for nerdy electrical guys. <laughs> everyone knows Hammond. <laughs> So yeah, this is a black steel box, but it has walnut sides, like the wood walnut. Because because it, it looks kind of cool. And and the thing is, like, so that, that's what it does. That that macro amp project that I was have been working on for like a year and a half. I also got a Hammond project box that is uh, walnut on all four sides with a black steel top. So this tube tester will kind of look like the, the, you know, the little kid of that version. Uh, and I think this will look like really snazzy. It'll look kind of like slightly vintage, uh, test equipment. Cause it's like, who, who makes like, who makes test equipment with wood ends on it nowadays? Like nobody, yeah, but grain. it's cool, yep. but it'll be really cool. Um, oh, yeah. so I picked this box and I decided to go with it, uh, for a handful of reasons. The, you know, the, the aesthetics are probably the main reasons, but it is just about a, like the right size to encompass everything that I want in it. Uh, so I have a drawing that I've passed over to Parker, but for anyone who's listening, if you want to check out the drawing, it's uh, you can go to macrofab.com slash podcast and then navigate to episode 126, and we'll have a copy of this drawing up there so you can follow along too if you want to, but uh, I'll try to explain it so you don't have to if you don't want to. But basically what I've done, and, and with this kind of drawing, um, I do this a lot with the projects that I work on where I do like these big bright bold colors and like big squares and things to just kind of represent like where things are going to be. Uh, and it, and it makes like a whole lot of sense. Yeah, go ahead. So I'm looking at this and like you're saying like there's a lot of boxes, yeah. but your encoder drawing is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> and you know, we'll, we'll go into that in a sec. Okay. So, so let's, so, so this box is a, is a, it's a rectangular box and it does not have a bottom on it. You have, you actually have to buy that bottom as a separate plate. So the enclosure itself is oh, two that's pieces. That's where they get you. Yeah. And, and you know, and it's goofy. It Like, why would it not come with the bottom? Why do you have to buy that separately? I don't know. Whatever. It's just part of this crap. But regardless, so, um, this box is a, is, is, uh, just a rectangular box, but on the bottom side, it has the flanges bent inward. So if you're looking at the box, like the the internal area is is a little bit smaller than the the total size of the box because it has flanges bent in uh, at at the mm-hmm. edges. So I drew that as this gray kind of square over here. Um, and what I've got is the big blue rectangle represents the board that I'm designing right now. And the green rectangle represents uh, the board that I already have as the tube tester, uh, which I've had for years. So what I'm actually designing. Oh, so you're just making, you're making an, I thought you were redesigning the whole thing. No, no. So you just, you're, you're making an add-on board. I'm making, yeah. Basically, I'm actually treating the original board as a daughter board where I'm going to be controlling all the signals ah. from it. And I'm going to be sending it signals, and and it runs gotcha. on like you know it's it's USB in is RS two thirty two, and I've got like a USB to RS two thirty two cable and stuff like that. I'm I'm I would rather have that be on board as an FTDI, so I can just plug USB right into my board and then jump it over. Um, I'm also going to have power conditioning on the board that I'm going at. So basically, I'm building a larger board or a board that's bigger than the original tube tester. And the mm-hmm. tube tester board that I currently have is going to mount directly to my board. And I'm going to plunge all the signals from that board down onto mine and send them wherever they need to. So I have like a whole relay matrix that has like 45 relays on it that are all going to switch <laughs> and do whatever they need to. And I've got three different uh, tube sockets. I have a nine pin an eight pin and a seven pin tube socket then i have nine encoders and nine seven segment um displays such that i can you know basically you press a button you press one of the displays uh sorry the encoders these are encoders with a switch on it so you press that encoder and then you rotate that uh to be you know i want to send you know pin one i want that to be connected to the anode so you Mm-hmm. The first encoder, you rotate it until it reads the letter A, and then you press it again. And what that will do is it'll rearrange all the relays such that the anode gets sent to whatever pin on the 9, 8, or 7 pin uh, tube socket. This thing's going to have like $300 of relays in it. I, I, I actually, I, so I did a bit of research on, on getting the right relays for this that can handle 400 volts, you know. 
and yeah. and I actually got relays that are not significantly expensive. Uh, it's probably going to be more like fifty dollars worth of relays. So really, yeah, it's an, can you it's, share that part number eventually. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can. In fact, um, well, next week I hope to have the main board layout done. So yeah. uh, I'll share I'll share the relays when I'm when I'm ready for that. Cool. So we'll do that. So uh, just to kind of as an example of like my mindset, I mean, everyone does this kind of thing differently. Everyone like does their, yep. this is this technically what I'm doing right here with this image is uh, what like system level engineering or industrial design or whatever they call it. Product design. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking a little bit less about like the individual traces on a board. And I'm thinking more about like, how does everything connect together as a whole, you know? Yep. And so um, on the right, I have my, underneath or bottom view of the box where i'm showing you know all the pcbs and how they kind of like stack on each other but on the left i i've, I've actually been I've, i do this on a lot of the products i design i do like a an a cross-section view where i show the stack up of everything because i want mm-hmm. to see you know like i have encoders that stick through the chassis i have tube sockets that stick through the chassis i also have uh seven segment displays that may or may not stick through the chassis but i also have the original micro tracer board that has to be a daughter board on mine and all of that combined have to both stick through the chassis but fit within the confines of how thick the enclosure yep. is so i've uh, on the left i sort of drew that out and this is where parker was remarking that the uh, the encoder is like this really nicely drawn thing whereas it, everything else is just like big rectangular colors <laughs> chunks <laughs> uh you know a, a trick that i did i started doing a while ago is i just go to the data sheet i i load it into whatever program i'm going with and then i just copy whatever that is whatever like image I want out mm-hmm. of it and then make sure it's and scaled scale it. properly. And then I have that. I do that all the time with potentiometers, with switches and with encoders. Cause most of the time they're actually drawn correctly on the data sheet. So if you just extract it into whatever, you know, drawing or drafting program you have and then scale it properly, it will all show up. Right. So I can actually see how far out of the chassis my encoder is going to stick. Um, so I could make sure that it looks kind of nice. So, that's what I was doing with this. You know, the big red rectangle represents the micro tracer board plus all the capacitors and all the other stuff that sticks so up high. I think you need a I think you need to build a custom knob for that encoder. Yeah. Out of brass. Brass. Solid brass. Oh, like a real nice heavy one. Like two and a half inches in diameter. <laughs> Just a and monster br- encoder, yeah. Uh, that'd be great. You know that would that would look <laughs> and, and actually so the the enclosure or, if you look at it from the top be... it's going to be black it, yeah. uh, and it has walnut sides so having a golden knob on it will actually look kind of yeah. cool. <laughs> and it, and it needs no actually the bigger the diameter the better because then you can hold it like like it, it, y'all y'all can't see but I'm holding that's like a claw hand across, <laughs> uh, uh, over the knob. It's how you adjust it. Well, we'll, we'll see. So the thing is, what it kind of sucks. I wish I could have found better stuff, but I like these encoders a lot. Their their price is right. They they do exactly what I need. They have like the encoding pulse properly done. Mm-hmm. Um, but the lowest detent I could purchase from Mauser at least was twelve detents per rotation. Um, so that's not too bad. No, it's not too bad, but I don't even have twelve options. You know, so oh. <laughs> The, the amount so before of, you even get a, all the way around, it's already reset the OG. Yeah, it's pro, it's almost zero. reset twice. I think I have seven options. Yeah. So like oh, that's okay, that's okay. not as great. I wish I could get something where it had like four or six. Six would be nice. Six would be awesome. Uh, six detents. Yeah. But and, and I, of course I could buy those. But the difference it, half oh, the I, time is like three times the price. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can tr- do it in software, but it won't make for a really good user experience. Right. You want you want to connect the detent to an, to an, an item. Yeah. And so it's not the end yeah. of the world. I really don't care. But uh, it's just one of those things where it's like, man, I wish all the stars aligned and I got exactly what I wanted. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. With a one-off product like this, yeah, let, let, let's put it this way. If, the, I've, if I was designing this to be a product that would sell multiple I would get an encoder from the manufacturer with the amount of detents that I want. Yep. Uh, and you'd probably put the uh, 
Mew Tracer board on your board. And, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, this would be a one-board solution. Um, yep. And and so, actually, something that I've been wrestling with this, this last week with doing this kind of uh, industrial design here was, do I purchase tube sockets that mount directly to the PCB, or do I purchase tube sockets that mount to the chassis, and then I send little wires off to the PCB? And I ah. I actually went with the latter. I decided to do tube sockets that mount to the chassis. And the reason I did that is because the whole purpose of this device is to put tubes in and pull them out. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's not a set it and forget it kind of thing. Like the whole point is like you're putting them in and out. So that would put a lot of stress on the PCB. So I'd have yeah. to have like standoffs and stuff around it. Having some isolation there will be good. Right. And so there, there's two things that go along with that. Um First of all, the three different types of tube sockets I have there don't have the same yeah. height. So no matter what, if I did them all PCB mount, they'd be three different heights. Some would stick out of the chassis and some would be inside ah. the chassis. I don't like that aesthetically. Yeah. It doesn't look good. Here's another thing that's really nice about uh, doing the little flying wire thing. I'm going to put a small ferrite bead uh, core on each wire that goes to each tube socket and what that mm-hmm. what that will do is i'll put a, i'll put a little loop of wire around it and it will make sure that no radio frequency or it, it ends up being a large impedance to uh radio frequencies so gotcha. um so i can you mean the walnut's not going to impede the radio frequency <laughs> if anything the walnut <laughs> amplifies radio frequencies <laughs> Uh, so so uh, so the the whole thought of this is um if you're looking at the image here is that uh e- each week i kind of want to show up with a little bit of a show and tell kind of thing so this week was product design um and uh the next week is going to be a uh hopefully a layout of the main board if not a layout it, I'll, I'll have a board with um component positions so, so Parker is trying to signal me with a hackaday dot, uh, what dot net or dot com <laughs> project. Uh, so, so you're suggesting making this a hackaday project? Yeah, make it a hackaday.io project. That, that way you can document everything like what we just did, and just copy it over after each podcast. Well, I was thinking about I was thinking about just uh, um, getting back into my Git game. And uh, putting this up on, ah. on GitHub. So, uh, actually, let's let's ask the listeners: Would you rather? Would you rather, if you were even interested in looking at the crap I make, would you rather that be on GitHub <laughs> or Hackaday? And whoever whoever answers, uh, you know, in the next week, we'll we'll make a decision. The one on that. person that will answer, even if it's one, I'll just do whatever that one person says. So <laughs> they're, not, they're gonna say something completely different. Well, no, like, okay, so it, it has to be one of those two choices. You have to document it via MySpace. My, MySpace, yeah. <laughs> Complete, only ASCII characters in text. The whole thing. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, hopefully next week I'll show up with a PCB uh, layout that you guys can uh, take a look at. And, um, I mean, to be honest, after I get the layout done, then uh, then it's just a matter of building it and writing all the firmware, which I have... I don't want to call it feature creep on the firmware. I want to call it feature enrichment uh, on the or <laughs> feature fortification. Like, uh, uh, I like enrichment. It's it's very um, portal. Well, it, it's it's portal, but it's also like um, it's also like sugary cereals. You know, like when when you you go and like get like Fruit Loops or something like that. It'll say like oh, enriched yeah. with minerals or something like that. You know, something. Yeah. So so that's kind of heart healthy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the heart healthy. Yeah, uh, and yeah. frosted. Uh, frosted. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, hit us up. Uh, actually, you know, so here, here's a good here's a good bit. I'm going to do a little bit of advertisement for us here. We have a Slack channel, uh, and it's actually pretty yep. it's pretty thriving now. There's a lot of people on that, and we, there's like 130 people on that thing, and that thing is very lively all day long. Uh, and Parker and I are on it all day long. So if you want to talk to us live, or if you want to do things like, hey, you know, use GitHub or use Hackaday, like you could do that oh, yeah. right on Slack. Oh. 
I actually I use it a lot for getting ideas for our RFOs and stuff. In fact, I think one of our RFOs is actually going to come from the Slack channel yes. today. Yeah, so, uh, what's what's the best? That's a good segue. Yeah. What's the, hey? <laughs> actually, real quick, what's the best way to get on this? Is macfab.slack.com? Yeah. Um, or go into podcast description and there's a link that will because you have to get like an invite for the Slack channel. Ooh, it's elite. Uh, well, that's just how Slack channels work. Um, but there's a public accessible link that you just click and you can just get in. There's no like request access or anything. Sure, sure. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, join us on Slack and, and have fun. Yep. So, speaking of RFO, this one is all yours, Steven. Yeah, so I found this one. Um, I actually found this one earlier today. And this is a, a little bit of a two parter. It's called Spider Silk Microphone. Also senses slightest waft of air. That's actually hard to say. Uh, yes. So this is a really cool article it. that um, I found on <laughs> electronicsweekly.com. The, Electronics Weekly is weird. They have a lot of like advertisements, and then they'll like switch, and they'll just have like this really cool article, and it's just I don't know. It, yep. it feels it feels awkward. Um, their content, uh, but but some of it's really cool. And and I so I wrote down my favorite quote from this article. Oh yeah, what's that? Oh, I, look, keep, keep going, keep going. Okay, well, well everyone in suspense. Let me explain this real quick because I got a little bit of a twist on it. Um, so there is, excuse me, I, I don't, I don't remember the guy's name. I apologize. I should have researched it a little bit further. But um, this gentleman um, had created a microphone that was intended to be one of the most sensitive microphones, and it's Professor actually Ron Miles. There we go. That's his name. So this microphone was actually uh, made. The sensing element was made from a single strand of spider silk that was yeah, gold plated. Your aluminum film one to shame. Oh yeah, it makes a ribbon mic look yeah look stupid. But the thing is, so he 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 gold plates this silver or the I'm sorry this gold oh, uh, spider re- silk. Yeah, he's he gold plated. I want to know how he did that. Yeah, I know. Seriously, it's like, how, yeah, how do you plate silk? I don't know. Whatever. Did he sputter it on or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'd probably not sputter because sputter is pretty hot. I would think that that I don't know. Like this, and actually, okay, so this is gonna segue, but but let's continue on this real quick. That so, in order to sense something that small, you actually have to have a pretty hefty field around it. So, it only works. Uh, well, I shouldn't say only works, but but it, uh, the way he designed it, it works in a 400 volt field that he's putting around this spider silk. Well, in 400 volts, he, uh, you can actually um, you, he, you can induce enough of a force that it, you're actually counteracting what you're what you're trying to sense. So that you're you're trying to mm-hmm. sense vibration, but you also have this pretty strong EM field that's flowing by. So. Uh, he gets around it with this like nifty contraption with multiple magnets and blah blah blah. Does all this stuff and eventually it creates this microphone that actually has a sensitivity of half a volt per pascal, uh, which pascal is a unit of pressure. Pressure and and sound can be measured by SPLs or sound pressure levels, and uh, half a volt per pascal is pretty damn good. Uh, you know that's something that is able to measure a very low. Um, a very low signal. Like I, I if I remember right, I, I was looking at like a Wikipedia page earlier today. It's like a, a leaf blowing on the ground is like ten to the negative fifth or six pascals, which would end up being you know microvolts in in this case, which you know that's small. You'd have to put a ton of gain on that to hear it, but that's still pretty good in comparison to like the microphone in front of my face is certainly not doing half a volt per pascal you know and <laughs> yeah, i'm putting yeah. a bunch of juicy gain on the end of it so uh yeah. so so regardless my microphone doesn't do that i'm sorry what was that <laughs> i said i hope i hope my microphone is not that sensitive yeah yeah exactly i mean that's the that's the kind of stuff where you can hear someone breathing you know when they're like very lightly breathing uh so that's that's really cool not, that he makes heavy this. breathing yeah so so check this out that is the extent to which I know about this because this article basically just mentions everything that I told you and nothing else. Uh, it's like three paragraphs. And then at the end, it's like you could read more about it at, in his paper. And if you click on the link to go to his paper, it takes you to one of those like IEEE sites that's like, if you want to read this paper, give us 50 bucks. And I'm like, really? 
And that's actually kind of the whole point of putting this RFO on there because I was so excited about this and I wanted to read more about it. And it ends up just being like this pay-to-play paywall for an academic paper somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, have you ever run into that before where like you're looking at this really cool thing and, actually, and then it's like you have to pay for this? Actually, yeah, I have. And the, the scary thing about this is um, – I don't know how much you know about this this kind because of, you you were asking about like you know who pays for it and stuff like that and it's like well it could be you know publicly funded research which you should have access to right well if it's publicly funded then I funded it yeah um, which I don't know how much you know about Aaron Schwartz from back in 2013 which is like ages it feels like a lifetime ago that this was happening uh, no I don't I'm, I'm I probably do know but I don't know right now. So yeah, in like 2011, Schwartz was um, basically he was arrested because he uploaded a whole bunch of academic documents from MIT, I think. Okay. That were all publicly funded, and they were basically um, arrested him for like computer fraud and abuses and wire fraud and shit like that. Um, and he eventually, right before his big like big um uh course kate he actually committed suicide oh jeez um yeah and yeah it's um he's like i don't know it's it's one of those like when you mentioned that i'm like oh man that can be a sticky topic (laughs) (laughs) well like Um, i i I brought it up because like i've run into this multiple times Uh, yeah i have too and and i do agree is like if it's publicly funded we should have access to it. Um, and, you know, I think that was one thing that Aaron was a proponent of. So. Sure, yeah. Well, and and you know what it actually reminds me, or what this kind of, like, brings to mind? Uh, a handful of podcasts ago, there was somebody who asked us, like, uh, they asked us a question, something about, like, hey, how do I learn? And one of our one of our thoughts or one of the things we told them was just like, go read everything and go research everything and like just yep. go down the rabbit hole. And I caught this article and I was like, this is freaking cool. And I started reading it. And then it was like, you can't go any further unless you should give us money. And yep. I was like, ah, that, that like, ah, I hate that. Yeah, it's it's one of those um, not you have it's like knowledge should be free, but you have to pay for it. I mean, I kind of things. I, I, it's like going to college. I, I suppose it's so that I guess, people, you know, somebody doesn't take it and immediately make money off of it. I, is that what? I, no, I don't it's, know. It's, like, be, it's because they want to make money off of it. That's solely it. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of upsetting yeah. because I wanted to read more and then it was just mm, sorry. Yeah, and it's a really cool project. Yeah, and this is the thing is, you know, this is like the one time we'll get political on this podcast is uh oh. If you're in the states, call your senators and representatives at the at the federal level and tell them to make publicly funded research papers available to the public. I mean, technically, you paid for it, I guess. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, that's how it that's works. The thing is, we paid for it. We should be able to read it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that was that was my RFO. It was kind of weird. Yeah. Eh, it's fine. But but okay. So here's the thing. I'll admit I'll admit a hefty amount of laziness here, and the reason why is because as soon as I hit that paywall, like my mind was just like, ah, I hate paywalls, and and that like oh, that immediately geez, turned. Away. So I didn't Google anything else about this project. There could be like a whole nother page where they discuss like a lot more. There could even be images about it. But I didn't even go any further because I was kind of upset about the paywall. Oh, I would be too. Um, yeah, that's really annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so. Because we are a proponent of free information, we're going to be talking about voltage regulator heat sinks and when they are required. Was, was, that, like, well, that's was that you attempting a segue right there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well done. Yeah. Okay, so um, so he, basically this... heat sinks on voltage regulators. Yeah, when do you need one? Um, I found this on, this was on Ask Electronics on, on Reddit. Um, I actually really like that subreddit because it gives us really good topics for the RFO. Well, thank you. Spoiler alert. And it's not behind a paywall. <laughs> no, it's not behind a paywall yet. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, 
So yeah, it's like when does your regulator need a heatsink? Um, and it's basically like your maximum power distribution is like that goes to first. So you have to calculate your maximum power that you're going to basically bleed into heat with your LDO, right? Yep. Yeah, and um, so do that. It's like voltage, voltage in minus voltage out uh, times current. current. We'll give you how much power you're just wasting. Right, and and, and actually, so really important for new gamers, um, that's that's one thing that a lot of people mess up is voltage regulators don't, they don't transform one voltage into another voltage. They just burn off all the extra heat. Uh, it's not yes. like 12 volts magically becomes 5 volts in the same way that a switcher does. A switcher will actually like transform it as opposed to burning yep. that heat. Uh, so that's that's important to note because you're guaranteed to have heat with a regulator. Correct. Yeah. And so once you have that, so you know how much wattage, right? Mm-hmm. And so then you need to look in your data sheet and you need to find... Like the, it's called like the temperature. Oh, what is it? Temperature to ambient, like thermal resistance mm-hmm. of your of your part, and then basically you can do. Um, I'll post the equation up. It's gonna be really boring if I start listing out what the equations are. But go look at our at the podcast notes, and you basically need to figure out like how much wattage you're burning and how much your part package can radiate into the environment. And so if your wattage that you need to dissipate is less than how much your package can radiate into the environment, you don't need a heat sink, right? Um, so like the bigger your package, like a TO220 is going to, how do you pronounce, you like, you're like smiling and like nodding your head. How do you pronounce that? I was actually laughing at the bigger your package thing as opposed to the TO. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, no, but I call it a TO220 is what I call it. N- okay. Not a two two zero. Okay. Um, so yeah. So the larger y- your part, the better it is at dissipating heat, and you can find that in the data sheet. And usually, it's um, it's called junction to ambient thermal resistance, and it's measured in like Celsius to watts. Right. And that that, and so that basically find- is how much how much temperature increase per watt of dissipation. Yeah, and so like let's say your part dissipates three watts, and your part has a ten C to watt ratio, which is actually really low. It would be thirty C, and so basically you go okay from ambient plus this temperature differential. Is that at the max temp that my part can hit handle, which is usually like a hundred and fifty C for LDO. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's usually right. 150, but but any good design would never let it get close to that. Well, yeah, because every I think the rule of thumb is every 10 C increase halves the life of your part. Uh, that's that's absolutely true on electrolytic capacitors. Um, I'm not yeah, entirely sure. I don't know about LDOs, but regardless, yeah. So like, you you basically calculate. Okay, if I'm having three watts, and is that going to exceed my maximum temperature for my part and that's the thing that's that ambient and so like okay what's the environment this thing is going to run in it could be you know if it's in a car it could see 140 fahrenheit which i don't remember what that's in c but that plus it's uh the it needs to radiate is above it Mm -hmm. and so then you need to put a heat sink on it um i haven't actually specced heat sinks a lot usually i just like look at other examples of boards that work <laughs> yeah and and um and be like okay i need a heat sink about that big maybe do you have any experience specking heat sinks Steven? i've done i've yeah i've certainly done a handful in um in some of the guitar amps that i've done because I, i've i've designed some circuits that uh with a potentiometer you can either trade the dissipation of the power amp from the you know whatever silicon device you're using and as you turn that that knob you can you can trade that off to something else like a like a mosfet that would just burn it in other words you have the capability to adjust the output power of your amp by just burning excess and uh and Mm -hmm. and what's kind of nice about thermal calculations is for electrical engineers they've sort of set it up 
in a way that's just simple enough for us to understand where it's like, okay, so here's your junction. The, the amount of, of thermal dissipation effectively you have or the or thermal resistance in, in reality, yep. you usually have a value from the junction to, to ambient. Sometimes you have multiple values. You'll have like junction to case or, you know, case to blah, blah, blah. You'll have a handful of others. But what it really adds up to in a lot of ways is um, it's, like a, it's like a circuit that's a bunch of series resistances. We just add them up. Uh, and, yep. and, and, and the thing about thermal resistance is it is practically always against you. So you ne- you don't want high always. values. You, yeah, I mean, unless you're yeah. trying to heat something up. Um, and, and <laughs> I mean, sometimes that's the case, but, uh, but you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's practically, you're right, it's practically always against you. So the thing is, low values are good and high values are bad, basically. And, and what low or high is kind of relative uh, to whatever project you're working on. But what you, what's cool about this kind of thing, this kind of uh, calculation is you start at the junction of whatever chip that you want and you work all the way out to your case. And then you find out, am I good or am I not at my maximum dissipation? If I'm not, then you can add a heat sink that gets you down to a safe level and if you can't find a heat sink that does that, then you can do a heat sink with forced air cooling, like a fan. Mm-hmm. And usually heat sinks will have uh, uh, values for what this fan would be like with however you know cubic feet per minute of air across it. They'll give yep. values for that. So uh, what's cool about these these equations is there's they're mostly just like additions and some multiplications. There's not a lot of like exponentials or logarithms or like this goofiness in there. You just kind of like add all the values up is it good no okay well throw something in there that cools it down is it good yes and then i'm done uh and i and that's grossly simplifying it of course it's not always that way and you have to look across the entire you know like what is my product going to do across the entire temperature range what's my power dissipation going to do across blah 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 you know i i i i hope that there's uh, this is what i really want to know about is like how you design something that needs to go into space then how do you radiate i guess that's black box radiation then. yeah you, like how you do you radiate. radiate to nothing vacuum which it'd be you're radiating infrared then yeah you're just right? you're just basically radiating yeah 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 at that point that's the but that's the only way you can do it well but you, yeah and your right? your temperature swings would be based on what energy is being put into the system based off of like radiation and light versus what energy yeah. is not being put into the system so it's either yeah. it's either easy to radiate or it's hard <laughs> in space yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it yeah um, if you're a space engineer if you're smart something if you're smarter than us, yeah. right? It's not you know, very hard. Actually, that'd be really cool. If we can find someone that has done that kind of design for the podcast, that'd be great. I'm going to write down space engineer for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put yeah. this way. If I worked on space stuff, that's what my official title would be. A space engineer. Space engineer. Hey, you could always join the Space Force. <laughs> We're going to have a Space Force here soon. Yeah, you could be a space oh, yeah, engineer. That's a new thing. The, the, que- the question I had about that. The- <gasps> no, space engineers, they drive locomotives in space. <laughs> With the little cap and everything. <laughs> With the little cap. And they're hanging out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> hanging out the window. So, uh, wh- Shoveling coal in what, I, what I'm curious about is <laughs> if you join the Space Force and then you do fact, are you a space pirate? Like, can you Ooh. can you become a space pirate that way? Because if so, sign me up. I'm going to be the first space pirate. <laughs> or space treason. Space treason. <laughs> they hang you in space. That, ju- that just means they throw you out into space. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, and Bowser, they just called him... Um, um, God, what do they call him Bowser Galactica when they did that? Um, what, throwing you out into space? Throw them out the airlock. That was my impression of a Cylon. No, no, no. That's uh, uh, Captain. God, what's his name? Adama. An a. Adama. Adama. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This show got really weird. Right. Like it started off yeah, really was, cool, and then it went like whoa, kind of weird. Basically, yeah, because it's a sci-fi series, yeah. and they basically ran out of money for one season, and so it's just like it's shot in like two rooms, and it's all political. 
And then he goes back to being great again because they got out of the political stuff. Yeah, it was weird. So if you have that's the new new uh Galactica. Right, um, not the go watch it if not you haven't watched it yet. Yeah. If you like sci fi, it's a really good series. Watch the first two or three seasons and then stop. No, watch all the way through. The ending's <laughs> really good. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So Vol- regulator hate sakes. Voltage regulator. Yeah, that was right? a tangent. Um, yeah, so go check out. I got a couple like, like app note, app notes. So check out the AN ten twenty eight from Fairchild. There'll be a link in the uh, description below. And then I actually just noticed this: is that the uh, the TI app notes are called Slup. Really? Why? <laughs> Slup. Two three zero. Slup two three zero. S L U P two three zero. Yeah, I don't know what slup is, but that's most of TI stuff is is named huh, that. Go figure. Um, yeah, so go check out that one. And so, and then we have one more RFO, and this, and this is from Jarrett. This one actually came from the Slack channel. Yes. So Jarrett from the Slack channel asked us today, "What do you do with two million free LEDs?" I, apparently, Jarrett somehow inherited two million, and the and 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 we'll put a little stipulation on this. These are two million surface mount LEDs, yeah, and uh, they're all one color. So, oh, there are. I, I believe that's what uh, I believe that's what he said. I, I may be wrong, but let's just put that stipulation on it. Okay, let's put two it on, two yeah. million free surface mount LEDs. Can you imagine soldering all those? I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be brutal. Oh, man, what would I? Because anything, anything that we, that needs that many also costs a lot of money to do. Um, I would donate them to my neighbor because he needs two million LEDs. Because <laughs> I don't want anything to do with two million free LEDs. So okay, so I, I actually I posted this question at work, um, and uh, I got I got four responses from uh, a couple different people. So the, mm. the first one was, and I thought this was great. First one was, if they're all red, uh, replace all parking meters with these LEDs so it looks like it's free parking all the time. Uh, so <laughs> I like that. That's, that's really great. That one's, that one's fantastic. Um, this next one is a little bit like just like straight engineering nerdiness, but like put a whole shitload of them in series enough until the, the resistance, the in, inherent resistance in the led is enough to not turn them on and see how many that is that's kind of nerdy but cool yeah i liked it um but hooked up to what voltage mains oh okay okay yeah 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 oh i i actually did suggest uh putting putting all of them in series and then putting like a two and a half million volt power supply on them and try and trying to light them in series I wonder if you would have any issues with that. The, the uh, you sh- for sure would. Yeah. No. The first of all, the capacitance of each one would be crazy uh, if you put all, them all in series like that. But at the same time, the resistance a diode has an inherent resistance in in there would just yeah. you know of well, two million I'm in series would be crazy. I'm just thinking of how. Okay, so I think I have to come back next week with this. See how long two million resistors would be. And like, how long would it take an electron if it's DC to travel all the way across, right? Because if you just turned it on, there might be a point where, like, you know, I have no idea how when that would work. Like, because the electrons isn't going to flow continuously and instantaneously. It's going to take a finite amount of time. Well, I mean, and maybe it will blow an LED fast enough because it has to travel so far. Well, technically, it's not like one electron traveling across the entire thing. You know, they, yeah, you, you obviously have a whole bunch of electrons, and it's, it's also oh, yeah. electrons don't travel at the speed of light. Electrons are actually pretty damn slow if you because there's so yeah. many of them. Um, yeah. Uh, but but you know the speed of light is is effectively when you apply voltage to. Uh, a conductor, you know, it, it it technically travels at the speed of light minus some bit because it's not in a vacuum, right? So, yeah. uh, well, the, so you know, well, however long is, this would be, it would it would have some propagation. Yeah, well, that's what I'm getting at. Is like when you turn on an induction device, like a motor, there's a 
bunch of lag on the power. There's a big sag on the power supply as it spins up. Right, but I think that has it's, to do with magnetic interactions, right? So it, I don't know if that's the same with. Well, technically, you have a however long wire this is, and that has induction too. Oh, for sure, yeah. And and the thing yeah. is, with each one of these diodes, you do have to develop a junction drop across to each one mm-hmm. of them. Uh, and it, to be honest, I don't know how long that takes. I mean, in a, if you're talking about one diode, it's like nothing time it's very short but if you have two yeah. million of them so, in series if you have like but if you have two million of them stacked up and you have four let's say it's two volt drops so you have two uh, you have four million volts yeah is that going to fry the first led as it's creating that junction oh i see what you're getting at well okay technically it has four million volts across it for how Little time it takes for that junction to form. Yeah, but 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 I bet you if you have that much voltage across it, it basically just avalanches so fast that uh, you never it know. You never know. It, it may. It, I, you know, I don't know the answer to that. The, someone who is yeah. much smarter than us <laughs> will probably weigh in on this. Yeah, that that and Jarrett should just do it. Yeah, you should just make a four <laughs> four million volt power supply and get back to us on that. Yeah. Yeah. You'll put our SSPS to shame. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, so I've got, I've, uh, so, I've got uh, two two yeah, other yeah. suggestions real quick, and, the, and these these are fast. I think they're fun. Uh, one guy said, "Cover every square inch of your car with LEDs and have it on a switch. So like your car's just going down the freeway, and you hit it, you hit the switch, and it just turns into a big <laughs> yeah. light of whatever color, it is. whatever color it is, and your you know your battery is draining like fifty hundred amps all all of a sudden. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that would be hilarious. Um, and then another one, uh, great, great idea. You know those like uh, videos you see pop up every year around Christmas time when somebody has like a house that does like, you know, the lights respond to music and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Do an yeah. entire roof, like just <laughs> the roof, just like beams. Instead of solar panels, it's LED it's panels, the exact opposite. Like, it's the yeah, the exact opposite of a solar panel. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was a great idea. I like that yeah. one. I like that a lot. Can't even look at the person's house. <laughs> No, Airplanes no, are no. crashing everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, those 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 were some cool. great ideas. If you yeah. have any ideas, go to our Slack channel. <laughs> yeah, and let us know. <laughs> let Jarrett know what to do. Yeah, with yeah, he might actually do it if you have a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's that's not a small amount of LEDs for sure. I mean, in terms of uh, cash, uh, so. No, but the funny thing is, it's not like he's going to be able to sell those. Like, how how do you sell two million LEDs? You know, if you're not DigiKey or Mauser, yeah, eBay, and somebody offers you five bucks for them for a real, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, that's a, that's actually a pretty good deal. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's wrap this thing. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. Take it easy. Later. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic that you want Stephen and I to discuss, tweet us at MacFab or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel where we talk about lots and lots of LEDs. If you're not subscribed to that podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.